Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line this week, we've got a very special guest. He's a three-time NBL champion, a one-time NBL grand final MVP, two-time first-team All-NBL, two-time Olympian and former captain of the Boomers. It's Jason Smith. How are you, Jason? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm sitting in hotel quarantine apart from that, but uh, but I'm just I'm just living off the high of the, of the Boomers bronze medal. It's fantastic. Now, you are joining me, as you just mentioned, from quarantine in Darwin, where you've returned from the Boomers campaign. What are the living conditions like over there, mate? Are we talking five-star accommodation? Are you confined to your room? What are you subjected to over there? Well, I'm actually in Brisbane, so I was originally supposed to go to Darwin, but I ended up going to Brisbane. So I'm in, a, I'm in a, just a small hotel room. Um, yeah, can't, uh, can't vacate it, obviously. So just stuck here for, for the next, I think I've got 10 days remaining, but um the hotel room's fine. Um, the food's pretty good, so yeah, it's just trying to find and occupy yourself during the day with things to do. So I've got, I've actually got plenty to do with work-wise, but uh, yeah, it's unusual circumstances. My first time in in quarantine, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's. It, I'm just looking forward to getting out, to be honest. Probably plenty of Netflix, mate, and maybe a couple of books to keep you occupied. Yeah, I've actually got plenty of work to uh, to to catch up on. So I work full time, not with basketball. So um, yeah, it's just uh, it's been a busy time just getting back on track with that, and and I've got plenty to catch up on. That's for sure. Oh, beautiful, mate. Well, as I mentioned, you were part of the Boomers campaign. What what actually was your role on the team over in Tokyo? So I was a head of delegation um, and just head of operations logistics um, in the build up to Tokyo. So um, yeah, we went to the US for about four weeks prior. Um, and then over to Tokyo for the game. So, yeah, just managed uh, the, the team and, and all the aspects associated with it. So leading into Tokyo, you just touched on it a little bit there. The team had a very successful exhibition tournament over in Vegas, going undefeated, including a really good win over Team USA. So how long before Tokyo was the team actually together? Um, yeah, about a month. So we, we actually started off in LA, um, in um, Orange County, we got all the group together because um, the team hadn't been finalised at that point. So we got a broader group together um, just to start to, to, I guess, get everyone, you know, associated with each other, get to know each other, and then start to to bring in some of the plays that the that the coaches would build off. So yeah, it was a it was a really good time just to to build on the culture and and let the I guess the you know the older guys really grab the reins and and kind of steer it from the beginning. Um, you know, Paddy Mills and Joe Daly, uh, Bainsey just really led the charge um, during that time. So we had about two weeks in LA, and then and then into Vegas where we started some uh, some games. Very good. Now, now something that fascinates me from afar is is the Olympic Village. We got some photos filtering back about some of the sleeping conditions maybe not being optimal, uh, to put it kindly. What was the Olympic Village actually like? Were the sleep, sleeping conditions as bad as what we saw? Were you confined to your room? Were you allowed to mix with other athletes, subjected to daily COVID tests? You know, what was it actually like over there? Yeah, so to start with, yeah, we had to do daily COVID tests. Uh, that's a standard. So we did that actually every day that we were away in in the US and in Tokyo. It's the first village that I've been associated with where, you know, the whole contingent from Australia was in the same building. Um, it wasn't spread, so we had like an apartment building, and so every athlete, all the administrators, coaches, and the like, were all in the same building. So that was really cool, just to you know bump shoulders with other athletes from different disciplines and different sports, and talk to them, and and you know other other coaches, and just you know just yeah you know, just mingle with you know others that are best in their field. In our country was was amazing. You know we had you know big pantry downstairs, and you know great services team. Uh, and a recovery center with a gym 
you know, all, all you know, centered in the, in the one location. So that was really, really cool. You could go and talk to other other nations and mingle a little bit, but you know, we're obviously you know trying to to um, isolate and and distance ourselves as much as possible, uh, particularly when you're in competition. So um, there was there was a little bit of that, but not a whole lot, to be honest. And it was more just you know staying in our in the confines of our kind of encampment, and then um, going to transportation to to your event and back again. So. It was an um, unusual experience, but uh, the fact that we're all together made it made it a little bit better. Were you able to get out to some other events and watch, you know, the, the swimming or the cycling or the, or the athletics or anything like that to support the the other Aussie athletes? No, and I think I think that that was a, a really disappointing aspect. Um, you know, they wanted to confine you to your own sport just to minimise interaction, I guess, um, uh, and intermingling across the sports. So you're only allowed to go to your own sport. Um, to your own training venue and to your own game venue uh, and back again to the village. So it was a little, little bit disappointing, but we had big TVs. I'll tell you what, AOC did a great job of having just big TVs with different events on all the time. And you'd have like, you know, just viewing groups, you know, when, you know, Peter Bowles running the 800 or and there's a swimming final on or something like that. So you get to experience it, not in first hand, but you still get to experience it with, you know, with, with, uh, with other AOC athletes and, 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 and members. Yeah, there was obviously quite a few Australian athletes that did exceptionally well. What what got the biggest crowd and the biggest cheer when all the all the guys were sitting around watching? Oh mate, it was any time any time an athlete was in a final or um, there was a medal chance, it was amazing. Like the the camaraderie just in the in the entire group was you know incredible. The support for any individual or any team that was competing was was amazing, and it's what I've come to expect in in um, Australia representation. Um, at the Olympics, you know, there's there's just such uh, mateship um, when you get to that level. So, yeah, it was anything anyone was doing well or, um, you know, you, you bump shoulders with someone in, in the lift or or just in the corridors, you get to talk to them a little bit and then you're really interested in what they're doing. So, you know, you get excited when they're competing. So, um, so that was awesome. But I'd say number one is probably us, to be honest. Like every time we came back, it was just you know, incredible amount of people just you know patting us on the back and congratulating the guys on their performances. So yeah, it was um it was a pretty special time. I'm sure it was, mate. Now the the guys got off to a, a good start in the tournament, going undefeated in pool play. But there was an injury to Aaron Baines early on, which forced some changes to the lineup. Uh, we saw Nick Kay come into the starting lineup. He did an outstanding job in that role. What effect did that injury have on, on the game style of the team? Do you think maybe? In a funny way, it was a bit of a bit of an advantage. Not because Aaron Baines obviously is a very quality player; you don't want to lose a player of his quality. But it sort of forced you to go a little bit smaller at times, which which spaced the floor out a, a bit more, and probably made you a bit harder to defend. Yeah, I probably look at it on the other side. Um, I thought defensively we were just incredible. Um, you know, the the fact that we we're able to go a little bit smaller without it really getting you know beaten on the boards or on inside play from opposition. I thought Nick Kay played an incredible role in that, and so did Jock Landau. You know, I mean, he was their only, you know, seven-footer or close to seven-footer, but he's really mobile and really nimble, so he can switch on on fours and threes, and Nick Kay pretty much switched on everything. So defensively, we could be really disruptive, um, and that really enabled us to to keep a running game. And, uh, you know, Paddy Mills and and the like, you know, they really want to get the, get the ball moving quickly. So um, unfortunately, without Bainesy in the middle, it just enabled us to do that. Uh, where it did hurt us, though, was when you know you need to come up with some crucial possessions against some you know really bigs uh, or really big opposition, and then and and rebounding was a 
was a key issue for us down the stretch, which, uh, which unfortunately Bainsey really could have helped us with. But um, I thought the guys recovered really well with, in his absence and uh, were able to adapt pretty quickly and, and, and obviously do pretty well. Now, the, the guys got a little bit unlucky with the draw, which meant they had to face Team USA in the semis. What were the confidence levels like heading into that game? You, you just played probably your best ball of the tournament that second half against uh, Argentina was outstanding. You'd also beaten Team USA the last two times you'd play them, albeit in exhibition games, but you'd still come away with a win. Uh, Team USA had looked a little bit shaky at times during the tournament, so you must have gone into that game thinking, here's our chance to knock them off and get to that gold medal game. Without a doubt. You know, we went into the game incredibly confident. You know, the competition that we've played, you know, Argentina was you know, top four in the world. You know, Nigeria's they're not an easy beat. You know, they've got you know, incredible amount of talent, a lot of NBA guys, and they're well coached. So, you know, we've had some some quality opposition leading into the games. You know, you, you beat Italy, who's incredible. You know, Germany's really tough, and then that Argentina team again. And, you know, we're going into that game, you know, full of confidence. And then Kevin Durant just started to take over. So, you know, I think, you know, if, if you know, and, and what I what I saw in the first game against the US when we beat them is that we did a we did a really good job on him, and, and he wasn't able to to take a grip on the game. Um, and unfortunately, he hit a couple of tough shots, and then started rolling. And and you know, he's he's a unique character on the basketball scene globally. You know, seven foot. Um, puts the ball on the floor and can shoot deep range as well. So I don't know how you, how you stop him. I mean, you put your best defenders on him and and do the best you can. If he hits shots, then you've just got to go down the other end and try and, and try and score. But unfortunately, he he took a grip on the game and and uh, and got the confidence going for the US. If he had missed a couple of shots, I, I'm pretty sure it would have gone the other way and and uh, um, you know we would have come out with a win. But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be, and and uh, we had to move on. Now, you mentioned there, like, we got off to a – oh, sorry, saying we because I'm a Boomers fan. The boys got off to a really good start. They had a 15-point lead in the second quarter, and, and every Aussie basketball fan was getting very excited. You mentioned there KD was obviously a big reason for, for Team USA, uh, reason that they got back on top. Do you think it was mainly just Durant's offensive ability, or do you think it was maybe uh, – the Team USA seemed to really increase their de- their defensive pressure as well, and, and you probably forced to go into a little bit more isolation play during that, th- that third quarter, and it just sort of took you out of your flow a little bit? Yeah, I think the – you know, we, we just lost our uh, flow, like you said, and just got rattled, it seemed, to them. I think we we just got out of our offensive structure, so guys tried to do a little bit too much, um, and it happens sometimes. You know, they, they you know their intent is is right. They're, you know, they're trying to do the right thing, but it just takes away from the structures that we 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 put in place. So, um, unfortunately, you start taking quick shots or a little bit more one on one against a quality opposition where you have to move the ball, uh, and where we've had success, and and obviously in the first and and most of the second quarter as well. So. You know, we started to get distracted um, and and shoot some some quick shots and some one on one shots and, and didn't work out. And then suddenly they take advantage of it, and you know our momentum's lost. And then the second half, you know, unfolded. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is let is get get Team USA some easy baskets, let them get out into to into transition because they're obviously very hard to stop when they're able to do that. Now there would have no doubt been a lot of disappointment in the locker room after that loss. How did Brian Gorgian get the boys back up to make sure they were mentally focused for the bronze medal game? Because there's a very quick turnaround to that bronze medal game. Did the message come from him, from him, or did one of the leaders like a Joe Ingles or Paddy Mills address the group after that loss? Uh, look, the the boys, you know, have a conversation before the coaching group 
um, comes into the room. But Brian Gorgian is in, in his element in in that environment. So before the game, he's amazing um, and delivers just a message right on point. And then exactly the same thing happened after the game. He came in, addressed a group, and just told us, you know, that uh, you know who we are. The glo- you know the globe is watching us, and our ability to to showcase our culture and and the strength of this group is still on show, and there's still an opportunity to to create history. So do not hang your head. Be positive. Let's move forward and go create history together. So, you know, the guys really galvanised off the back of that, and I think it helped them uh, stay motivated for the rest of the tournament. So how were the stress levels in that game against Slovenia? You can probably never feel too comfortable when you're playing against a team that has Luka Doncic on it. Um, when did you think you had the game in hand? Because they kept fighting back every time it looked like it'd sort of open up a match-winning lead. They just refused to go away, didn't they? Yeah, and, and they can pour points on really quickly. Um, you know, they move the ball really quick. Um, they shoot the ball really quick too if they're open. They're really confident. And with Luca at the helm, you know, he shot, what, two step-back threes on on Nick Kay's switches um, down the stretch to bring it back to within six. So they're never really out of it. And I didn't I didn't think we were safe until probably three three minutes to go. Uh, momentum had really shifted. You could just see they were a little bit dejected. The body language was, was indicating that they were fatigued. Um, and our guys were just pumping on all cylinders. So, yeah, it was a it was an interesting game. Like you said, they had a really really good tournament. Uh, we knew that they were dangerous, but I thought we matched up with them really well. Um, you know, you chuck Matisse Seibel into that mix and, and chuck him on Luca and you know Dante as well, and, and you've got you know Della Vadova. You know, you've got three incredible defenders that can just just create mayhem for him and just really iterate him. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, a tough game, and 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 yeah, it wasn't until the, you know the really final stages that I thought we had in the back. Now you just mentioned Matisse Lobel. Then he, he was a at a really important inclusion to the squad, wasn't he? He just brings something to to the Boomer squad that you don't generally see. Obviously, an outstanding defender. He was averaging sort of three or four steals a game, but just his ability in the open court to get out and play above the rims. Not something you generally associate with an Australian Boomer squad, is it? No, you just don't see that level of athleticism uh, too too often on uh, on an Australian squad. You know, we're typically a little bit slower, but really skilled. Whereas he just created just another avenue for us. I, I've I've never been a part of a group with an athlete of that caliber previously, um, and just you know an ability to 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 stop anyone that's in front of him. He's he's a he's a different beast. So the inclusion of him into the group was incredibly important because you know you're playing you're always playing against a a team that's got a superstar, and who do you throw on them that you can trust? Um, and and he was that guy that you could just put on, you know, one, two, three, four, potentially to um to to close them down and or at least limit their opportunities. So yeah, he was he was amazing for us. Um, and I, I can't wait to see, you know, his his uh, further improvement in the NBA and what he can bring to the green and gold in the future. Yeah, well, he's no doubt one of the best defenders in, in the whole world, so it's always good to have that up your sleeve when you're coming up against the likes of Kevin Durant and, and Luka Doncic and so forth. Now, what about the performance of Paddy Mills in that game? 42 points, 9 assists, 15 to 31 from the field, so he wasn't shy about shooting. But have you personally seen a better performance you know, in person in such a big game? Not in such a big game. I obviously played with you know, uh, Drewy and, and Shane and and Luke and Bradkey and those dudes as well, um, but not in a game of that status where you know you've got a, a chance to create history, and you know you step up 
and do you make your shots or not? And he was just incredible. I actually went into the you know, the halftime break and I was the last one out of the locker room and and um, I just noticed that he was still at his locker. Everyone else had left and and I turned around and I go, are, are you all right, mate? Because you just looked absolutely exhausted. And he just said, I just need a minute. I just need a minute. And, you know, he just ran out with a couple of minutes left to go in warm-up at halftime. You could just tell he, he didn't have a whole lot left in the tank and, and he just pushed through it. And, and he's just a remarkable remarkable player but also just as a human being just an incredible guy um i'm really privileged to be around him he's um yeah he's, he, i mean he's, he's he's delivered a a bronze medal for his country but um he does so much more than that off the court as well for for uh, his indigenous people and and uh and for basketball in general so yeah it's just a, a privilege to be a part of him I'm not surprised. He was so fatigued, mate. He's like a ball of energy out on the court, isn't he? He never stops moving. He's coming off screens. He's, you know, he's getting knocked down. He, I don't know what he weighs, but he's, he's not a very big man. So I was not surprised that he, he was fatigued at halftime. Now we also heard Paddy Mills speak so eloquently about what it meant for him to help the Boomers finally get that much-deserved medal. Uh, he mentioned the Boomers' culture, which get which gets brought up a lot. As a former captain of the Boomers, and look, I realise this is really hard to do, but can you try to put into words what that Boomers culture actually is and why everybody just seems to buy in, into it the minute they put a Boomers jersey on? Yeah, well, I think everyone that puts a Boomers jersey on understands the sacrifice it takes to to, to, to be a part of it. You know, the hard work and, and the effort in order just to, to be able to represent your country, and then it's not taken for granted. So we understand that there's a nation behind us, um, you know, supporting us uh, and uplifting us. So you know, I, I really think that's in focus when the guys, you know, put on their put on their jerseys. Uh, one thing that the, the that this group's been able to do also is just be able to create a mateship over time that it, it's really difficult to replicate. So you've got a core group that have been together nearly 12 years, and that have been on, you know, that fourth base team. You know, a couple of times at, at large events, so you know that 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 galvanises you know a fortitude that that's hard to hard to do in any other environment. So, uh, and uh, and in a short period of time. So the fact that they've had a long time together, they've been through some adversity, and experienced that together, you know, has really helped this group you know populate a culture that that's been ever, ever stronger uh, because of it. So. Yeah, I, I hope that kind of gives you a glimpse of, of, of kind of what it means. But the, the mateship, the trust, and uh, um, the investment that it takes are probably the, the three big things that, I, that I'd say highlights the, the culture of the boomers. Now, does that get brought up a lot amongst the playing group? Because, I mean, that's something that's very powerful and you sort of compare it to, you know, a Team USA who are just sort of thrown together. They, they didn't even have their team sort of finalised a week or two out leading into into the Olympics. So does that get spoken about a lot and sort of drawn upon at times when needed? All the time. All the time. Uh, referenced, if it's not daily, surprised. You know, you want to you want to set your behaviours on, you know, the pillars of your culture um, that are measurable and can be seen. Um, and you've got to call out guys when they're not adhering to them or, you know, recognise them when they are. So, um, it's it's constantly measured and constantly reinforced um, and spoken about, um, and that's 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 the why that's the reason why it's just so strong within this group. Um, one thing I will say is that the, the core group of guys have taken it to a whole new level, so they've actually been able to to put it on in a framework, um, and they delivered that framework 
to the to the broader group while we were still in the US, um, you know, building building the campaign. Uh, and we spent a whole night going through it and really articulating exactly what it meant uh, and what was the expectation if you're going to be a boomer. So, so that's pretty special to be a part of, considering it's not led by the administration; it's it's led by the playing group. And you know, that's uh, that's a pretty special thing when you can get to that level. Oh no doubt, and it's absolutely no surprise that they've had their most successful campaign if they got that level of buy-in from the whole playing group. Now, we also saw Andrew Gaze give a really emotional speech on Channel 7 about how proud he was for the Boomers to finally get that medal, what it meant for him and his and his dad, the great Lindsay Gaze, to, to see that happen. Now, what did it mean for you as a former two-time Olympian and former captain to actually be part of the team when that elusive medal was finally won? Yeah, it was really emotive. Um, you know, I've, you know, again, I've been really fortunate to play with, you know, Andrew, Luke, you know, Vlahov, Bradkey, you know, some real, you know, amazing players of the past. Um, but I also was able to, I was, I was in that middle piece where, you know, Patty first came in and Joe first came in. I was still playing, playing for the Boomers. So I got to, you know, participate a little bit with that, with that new group. And so, um, I've, I've had relationships with those guys for a long time. So yeah, it was just, for me, you know, just sitting there and being a part of it, I knew, you know, how special it was. Um, I knew the opportunity that was before these guys and was hoping that they could, you know, reach the top of the mountain. Uh, and I was just ecstatic when they did. So, you know, the first, you know, emotion that comes off comes over is just pride. Immense, you know, immensely proud of, of the work and effort that it takes in order for these guys to get there, but also the recognition you know, of the part that I've played, but also, you know, like you mentioned, you know, Hill, Bradkey, Gaze, Longley, McKinnon, Ronaldson, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. So, um, and those guys recognise that as well and, and and they know it's an important part of, of the culture of the group and, and the heritage that, that's been able to, uh, to bring them to this point. Now, going forward, what impact do you think this will have on Australian basketball? Do you think it will inspire some young kids to follow their dreams with the hope that one day that they might be able to pull on a Boomers jersey and win an Olympic medal? I've got, I've got absolutely no doubt that there's hundreds of little Indigenous kids running around looking at Paddy Mills and going, I want to be him one day. And that excites me. We've got untapped talent all over the country, let alone already the, you know, the established you know, associations and clubs. But there's some little diamonds out there that will be uncovered um, because they'll see a Patty or a Joe or, you know, Matisse or whoever it is and 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 see that the the joy that they've been able to bring um, to their to the team but also to a nation and they want to be a part of it so you know the participation levels will be increased I've got no doubt you know basketball Australia will do a great job of harnessing um, their ability to to continue to grow the sport um, and integrate the sport so you know, I'm really looking forward to to see what the future holds and and you know it's only it's only three years away from from the next one. And uh, we've got some really, really strong junior talent coming through the ranks as well. So no, I'm really, really excited to see what the future holds for, for basketball in Australia. Oh, no doubt. And, and there's probably no re- pretty much everybody in the squad, you know, could be a, a part of the next Boomers Olympic squad. And, you know, you've got a Josh Giddy who just got drafted to the OKC. You'd expect Josh Green to, to have a, a bigger role come the next Olympics. Now, I, I do have to ask you about Ben Simmons. Everybody wants to know if he's ever going to pull on a Boomers jersey. Now, he obviously has some extenuating circumstances going on. 
at the moment with his situation in, in Philly being a little bit up in the air. So you could probably excuse him for opting not to play this time. But do you think he will at some stage uh, play for the Boomers? I really hope so, mate, because I, 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 I don't think the NBA can provide you know, the level of support and comfort that a Boomers team could for them. Um, you know, we're obviously, everyone's watching from afar as to, to what's unfolding and it looks really uncomfortable. Um, so I can only imagine, you know, how he's dealing with it. But, um, you know, he's really missed an opportunity, a golden opportunity to be a part of the group that would really, you know, care for him and support him no matter what he's going through. And, you know, so he, unfortunately, he's missed a, a, you know, an opportunity there. But the door's always open, obviously, for him. He's, a, he's an incredible talent. Um, and I know he's old, you know, I know he's, his mum and dad fairly well. And, you know, they're really good people. And I've come across him a couple of times. And I'm just, I'm just hoping that he can, um, can one day just, you know, um, uh, reap the benefits of being part of this group. Has he ever been involved in any of the camps or in the sort of the, the, the lead into any of the tournaments and pulled out at the last minute? I'm not sure if he's, has he been involved before? He has, yeah. So before the Worlds. In 19, um, he was involved and had some issues. He had to pull out the last minute. So, yeah, he has been a bit a part of it. And the guys obviously playing against him in, in the NBA frequently are constantly, you know, they're getting together with him, having dinner and, you know, chatting about, you know, the next campaign, that type of thing. So he's not he's not disinterested in, in what's going on in, 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 you know, basketball in Australia and particularly the Boomers. That's for sure. Um, it's just unfortunate that the set of circumstances unfolded the way that they did. Hopefully Matisse Liable can get back uh, get back to Philly and sort of fill him in on, on how much fun he had because Matisse Liable se- really seemed to embrace that that culture um, even though he'd never really been a part of the Boomers leading into this tournament. Um, now I've already held you up for far too long, mate, so I promise I'll let you go shortly. But I just wanted to ask you about the NBL as well. Now you're a C- Sydney Kings legend named to their 25th anniversary team. Do you still support the Kings or have you been converted over to one of the Melbourne teams? Given that you can probably get to their games a little bit more easier. No, look, I've still got a soft spot for the Kings, and and I do watch their um, their results with interest. But to be honest, I'm I'm more um, interested in individuals more than teams. To be honest, so I just like watching individuals play and and watching their skill set shine. So you know, I'll watch games and then just take a an interest in how an individual is going rather than you know supporting a, an individual team. You know, now seeing you know more of these guys in action, you know, up close, it's um. Yeah, it's, it's given me even more interest to just to see how they perform on uh, in the NBL. And I, I think actually speaking of speaking of that, I think you watch Drew Up Reese come back to Illawarra this year. That guy will be a, a superstar in the NBL. He's an incredible talent. He spent I think three or four years now in Belgrade, in Serbia, um, you know, playing some really tough Euroleague basketball, and he's he's about to be unleashed in in the NBL at, uh, at the Hawks. So I think he's going to have an amazing season this, uh, this coming season. Yeah, he certainly, he certainly showed some really good signs for the Boomers. So that's a fantastic pickup from Illawarra. You mentioned that you, you focus more on individuals more so than teams. So who are some of the young guys that you've seen over the last couple of seasons uh, from the NBL that you could think could have a, to take a really big step up this season? Oh, well, I mean, last year, obviously Giddy took a, took a lot of my interest. So I was really keen on watching him and, you know, I used to bump into his old man, um, still do uh, fairly frequently. So you know, I was just looking at him at, and even his development throughout the year. You could just see him getting better, you know, month in, month out. Um, and to, to, to watch him being drafted and actually, you know, just to see him in camp and seeing how, how, how good he is. You know, I, I was actually helping getting his COVID 
um, shots before uh, before we went away for the camp, and and then I saw him about a month later in in LA, and I was like, bloody hell, mate! I reckon you've grown another inch. You know, oh, really? So he was, yeah, probably left. I saw, I thought he was about six seven, and then he he rocks up to LA, and he's six eight, and I was like, jeez, you know. So he's, yeah, he's a he's a talent. You know, the, but there's a, there's a bunch of guys that I've got interest in, but obviously being with uh, the Boomers now, I'm, I'm 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 I've got a I've got a, a keen interest in probably that next level below the NBL, and to see see them come come through as well. So there's under 19s kids that uh, that are at the AIS and and the NBA uh, Global Academy in Canberra. So there's a, there's a bunch of kids in there that I've got a keen interest in, and that are either going to 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 uh, to the US for college or have another year there or coming into the NBL. So it'll be interesting to see where these where these kids go. It sounds like the future is, is very bright for Australian basketball. Just lastly, what do you think of the level of basketball in the NBL? Say compared to when you played, do you think with the added imports allowed and, and even sort of these next gen stars using the NBL as a stepping stone to the NBA that the standard has improved vastly? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think um you know Larry's done an amazing job of uh of investing in, in into the sport um and into the league and the league's incredible um you, you just look at the way that our local talent can play at an elite level like an olympic games or the lead up into the olympics and you've got a bunch of nbl guys running out there that are just dominating so you know th- it's clear that uh the competition has uh has improved a lot um and the skill sets have just continued to improve so yeah it's um it's really pleasing to see and and it's it's great to, to know that it's being harnessed in in a local competition that can provide pathways for guys, you know, to reach to, to reach the the pinnacle of their careers. No, oh, no doubt. And as you said, we had Jock Landau, Chris Golding, Nick Kay, Nathan Nathan Sobey. These guys were able to contribute very heavily for the Boomers coming off an NBL campaign. So that sort of speaks volumes for the level of competition in the NBL. Now I'll let you go now, mate. Once again, thank you so much for giving up your time for a chat. It was fantastic to get an insight into everything that went on over in Japan. Um, and who knows, mate, hopefully we can have a chat in three years' time when the Boomers uh, win their first gold medal. No, you bloody awesome. be awesome. <laughs> but appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. No worries, mate. You have a good one. A huge thank you to Jason Smith for jumping on the line and talking to me today. Um, if you're new to the podcast and you've never heard it before, you can jump on Apple Podcasts, uh, search for Power in the Key, click on Subscribe. Uh, If you also like what you're hearing, please uh, give us a five-star rating. That would be much appreciated. We've also got the the Facebook page. If you can jump on there, search for Power in the Key, like that page. Uh, We post all the episodes on there, so you'll be able to listen to them there. Um, And hopefully we'll speak to you soon.